Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. For more information about Abbott Loop, visit abbottloop.org. In Philippians 3, 12, verse, verses uh, 12 through 17, if you'd open up there, Philippians 3, verses 12 through 17. I'll give you the title of my message here in just a second, but I just want to read through this verse here. And it says this. It says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Don't you wish you could say that? But I, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. This is an important word here, imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. As we go into 2018, I was thinking about what do I want to share, God? What do you want to birth into me and into us and into our church at the beginning of this year? And as I was running on the treadmill, ironically, I started thinking about this theme called pace setting. And the Lord started speaking to me about pace setting. And so I felt like I wanted to share today the idea, the topic of my message is Kingdom Pace Setters. And the subtitle is Set the Pace. Kingdom Pace Setters Set the Pace. But before we get into it, would you bow with a word of prayer with me? Father, thank you for today. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you that your word is living and active. My words are not living and active, but your words are living and active. And you say that as your word goes out, that it does not return void because it transmits into our souls and it changes us and transforms us in ways that we could have never asked or imagined. God, we thank you that you know our needs even before we ask. We thank you that you seal your word in our hearts as we receive it with supple and soft soil in our hearts, God, today. We thank you for that. We pray that uh, you would just do that today. And I do pray for a double anointing on the Vikings. That you would come through for them today just like you did last week. Amen. Amen. Any Vikings fans out there? Woo! Yeah, I see a few. Okay, anybody here from Minnesota? Okay, one, two, couple. Okay, North Dakota. Oh, yes, you're close enough. Okay, good deal. All right, yeah, Vikings, I'm excited about that. Um, so just be praying in prayer through this sermon. Yeah. It'd be great. Got a question for you. How many of you have ever been told that something is impossible? When you've been told that, it's either been somebody saying it to you, it's been yourself, or it's been just the situation at hand that's saying, uh, this is impossible. You can't come through. This is not going to work. I just want to invite you into, into my world a little bit. That, that happened to me this week. I was actually in a place where I was like, is this going to fail? It feels like it's going to fail. It's, it's, it's not going to work. I don't know how this is going to work. I didn't have the resources. I couldn't see it happening. I couldn't see how it was going to work. Interestingly enough, I want to show you because I got it on video. Do you want to see what my world a little bit on video? Okay, take a look. Amen, amen. Any amens in the house? Hallelujah. That's right. Crowd. Sorry, 
see Marcus Williams here. He has a shot. I'm not sure really what he's thinking, Joe. He comes in, he's got him dialed in, and he just all he's got to do is make a play. And even if he catches it, you tackle him in. Yeah, that was uh, very therapeutic for me, I, got, I just got to say. Because I have been waiting for this time. I hope they win today because they ever anytime they get close, they just drop it. So be thinking of the Vikings fans. So, uh, yeah, I do share that actually for a reason because it really, in our lives, how many of you ever felt like that? That was like 10 seconds left down to the last play. They either got to get to the 20, 20 more yards so they kick a field goal or just score, right? And I was like, oh, they're going to lose. They're behind by one. They got 10 seconds left. How's this going to happen? I was like, it could happen, but I just didn't feel like it. The resources were out. I was like, is this going to really happen? And sometimes you might feel like that in your life. Sometimes you might feel like you don't know where to go. You don't know where to turn. Your back's against the wall. You're up against a barrier in your life, and you don't know what to do. It could be uh, a relational thing between you and your kids, if you're parents. They, man, I wish my kids would just change. There's animosity between the two, and you just don't know where to go. You wish things would change. Maybe you're a student at school, and you're trying to live for Jesus, but you see others not living for Jesus, and you don't feel like you're fitting in, but you want to fit in, so what do you do? You start possibly being tempted to go in that direction just to fit in. You're up against a barrier of a decision that you're going to make. Maybe you've had a loved one that has been sick and you've been praying for them. They haven't been healed. You've been up against the wall with that. What do you do with it in that situation? You fill in the blank. Maybe you're a Saints fan. I don't know. Um, And last week um, you experienced that barrier as we won. But think about it. Something in your life. You fill the blank in. And the reality is, is that this. Sometimes these situations feel unbearable and are not able, we're not able to over, overcome them. And you know what? Um, back in the 1950s, there was a situation that occurred. Physiologists generally agreed that it was physically impossible and physically unsafe for anybody to run the mile in under four minutes. Now, many of you know where I'm going with this because Roger Bannister disagreed. Because on May 6, 1954, a psychological barrier and conventional wisdom was shattered on that day because he ran the mile in three minutes, 59.4 seconds. And he, against all odds, against all barriers, broke through that barrier and set a precedent. He became a pace setter. He became a trendsetter, and his name has gone down in history because he did something that was seemingly impossible. What is a pace setter? Well, the definition of a pace setter is, in the, de- in the dictionary, is a person, a group, or organization that is the most progressive or successful, and here's the key part here, and serves as a model to be imitated. Pace setter examples for, uh, would be, um, I was talking about this with John, our worship pastor, and he said, hey, a pace car in the race, NASCAR, right? In order to be a pace car, you've got to be out front setting the pace. Or a marathon person, the person that's out front setting the pace, they are setting the pace, a uh, pacemaker, if you have a pacemaker, it's nice not to have a heart that's in arrhythmic state, where it's going fast and slow. You just have a pacemaker. It's nice and steady, right? We think of people. Steve Jobs, when he first started Apple, in his garage, a couple resistors, he had a vision to put a computer in every household. Now that's probably multiplied because we all have them in our hands. Our country was founded on pace setters. Somebody who wants, people who wanted to do a, a country differently than they, than they saw based on certain freedoms. These are pace setters. When we look at what's the common characteristic of a pace setter, and that is, is that they define something in a new and better way. 
And as a result, they become a leading pace center out front, and they set the pace. And they become a model to be imitated. You're probably wondering, why is he bringing this up today? I'm talking about kingdom pace setting and you and I setting the pace. Because I believe that the church was designed to be the ultimate pace setter. Just like every rose bush is designed to be full. But not every rose bush is full. There's reasons why. So the question is, is the church going in the direction that God wants it currently in 2018? Well, I want us to look at some things. I want to kind of open up uh, some things and look at some stats. Where is the church? Here's some research. This is research uh, by the United States Census Bureau records, and some of the, and these stats are also backed up by denominational reports and the Assemblies of God of U.S. Missions. Recent stats are showing that overall people are attending church less. One study reported that 4,000 churches close each year and that 80% of Protestant churches are either declining in attendance or staying about the same. And this is happening to all size churches, small, medium, and mega churches. Another stat, every year 2.7 million church members fall into inactivity. This translates into the realization that people are leaving the church. From our research, we have found that they are leaving as hurting and wounded victims of some kind of abuse, disillusionment, or neglect. Well, the Bible says, know the state of your flocks. At the turn of the last century, 1900, there was a ratio of 27 churches per 10,000 people. As compared to the close of the century in 2000, where we have 11 churches per 10,000 people. That's cut in half, over half, cut in half. Another one, the United States now ranks the third following China and India in the number of people who are not professing Christians. In other words, the U.S. is becoming an ever-increasing, unreached people group. When we look at this, we can see that the world is changing, and the world should be changing, and it's going to keep going. But the question is this, is while, the, while the, it, the, thing, the world is shifting and changing, I have to ask this question. Has the church's heart shifted as well? along with it in some ways. Where is the heart of the church? Where is my heart? Where is your heart in the midst of this? Because here's a, here's a cool, here's a, a positive light in this thing, is that while their attendance is declining, the, uh, the uh, research shows that these people that have left the church are still seeking for ways to worship. They, they want something real. They're looking for something authentic. Right? So change is needed. So I show that gap because we need to see that a change is needed. And God is looking for pace setters. God is looking for you and I to be a pace setter in his church and become that and have vision to see people's lives transformed. And when we see people's lives transformed, we begin to see the world transformed as a result of that. You know, Helen Keller said this. She was asked this question. She said, this is really kind of an awkward question. I want to ask her this. What could be worse than being born blind? She said, to have sight without vision. Helen Keller was a trendsetter. She had vision. No sight, but she had vision. That's why she went down in history to be the person that she is. She had vision for her life. Something was fulfilling in her life because of that. We need pace setters that want to change, be changed by God and change the world. Proverbs 29, 18 says this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Right? Another version says, the ESV version says this, where there is no prophetic revelation, the people cast off restraint. Would you say we live in a time where we see people just casting off restraint, just running wherever they want like ants, and saying whatever they want on Facebook and saying, hey, I can say whatever I want because this is how I feel, because that's my truth. 
right? Where are we at? And what are we called to do in the middle of that where, the, where the, there is no vision, the people perish? I believe God has designed the church for us to be involved in that lack of perishing. He wants us to step in the middle of it so that there is no perishing. What's interesting about this whole idea is that perishing, I think of fruit or milk or uh, uh, cheese or fish in my fridge that's rotting. There is a rotting that is happening in our world. And the question is, do we have anything to do with that? Can we bring solution to that? What's interesting is that I think yes, because in the Bible— there are at least a couple different spaces where God, this is crazy to me, God allowed his vision, his revelation, his prophetic revelation to be forgotten. Here's an example. This is after um, Joshua had passed away. In Judges 2, 9 and 10, it says this, And they buried him with the, uh, within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain, mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Here it is. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. What? The Red Sea, the plagues. Those stories didn't transfer to a whole generation. It says they forgot God, they didn't know God, or his works. How does that happen? God, for some reason, allowed that revelation to be forgotten. And I think God allows that gap because he's looking for us to step in. I don't want to sound heretical, but I almost want to say God is not enough. Because God has chosen people, his people, to, be, to know him and to be known, and to walk with him and to be an effective change in the world. Right? So let that not be said of us, that our culture does not know God or his works. What are we, what are you, what am I going to do so that doesn't happen? So the question is, how do we set the pace? How do we set the pace? I have three things for you. The first thing is this. Pace setters look ahead, not behind. Paul, in this passage, he said this. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You know, earlier in this passage, he's talking about all of his credentials, everything that he could accredit to himself as righteousness, everything that he had gained in his own power and strength. And he says this, I can, I can tell those all day long, but I'm going to close the door on that. I'm going to forget that. Why? Because there's something greater that I want to apprehend. The things that I did back there were in my strength. But out here, God has something more. Where your back is against the wall in 2018, God wants to turn that around and he wants to say, you know what? Let that go. Whether it was good, bad, different, or ugly, close the door on that. Turn your back on that and say, I want to see what God has for me in 2018. I'm going to strain forward and look ahead. You know, what's interesting about this whole idea of looking ahead, not behind, is also referred to in Jesus, when Jesus said this in Luke 17, 31 through 33. He says, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. You know, what was he saying there? He was just saying, hey, remember, she turned into salt. Well, the truth is, you know, he talks about he who seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Well, her life got preserved in salt. 
Well, so we know that. But what was he actually saying? He wasn't saying just look at the salt, look at the pillar of salt. He's saying, Do you, look at her life. Okay, let's look at this. She knew a godly man. She had a family. She had a couple daughters, had a house, had security. Here's something uh, I didn't think of. <laughs> when they were being rescued, they hesitated a second, and the angel of the Lord grabs their hand and leads them out. Have you ever been led out by your hand by an angel? That would be pretty cool. I would love to see that. Here they go. They're running out, grabbed by the hand, looking. They're told not to look back. As I just have this picture in my mind, being grabbed by an angel and decides to look back. What is this talking about, this looking back that is happening in her life? Why is this so significant? What is Jesus trying to point out? She had everything. She had all the things that she could ever ask for or imagine, and those things became her thing, is what I think Jesus is saying. I think she was looking back at all she had gained. Perhaps she thought it was in her own strength. Look at those things I'm leaving. I'm going forward, but I'm stuck. I'm paralyzed. And boom, into a pillar of salt. How does that happen with us? God rescues us by his power. He takes us out by his power. But there's something still that's in nature that just wants to go, oh, man, look at that. And what happens in our lives is we begin to slow fade, paralyze, and crystallize. And we don't experience the blessing, the power, the things that God wants us to experience by taking his hand. You see, when we take his hand, we take his power. We go in his strength. But when we look back and take the hand of what we had in the past, we take our own power. We kind of want to take credit for it, too. God is calling us to a different trajectory in our lives. It reminds me of Indiana Jones. Remember Indiana Jones? Yeah, I don't remember what the name of the one was. It was one where at the end, the earthquake was happening, and they had that cup of Jesus that was healing his dad and all that kind of stuff. And the earthquake happened, and the thing opened up, and then Harrison Ford and this girl fall into this crack. The girl falls quicker. He grabs her hand, and that cup actually rolled down, a really valuable cup, sitting on the edge. And there he's, she's, he's grabbing her hand, and she's looking up at him, and she sees the cup, and she's kind of like this looking for it. And then all of a sudden, she, he, he says, come on, let's go. Pulls her up. And then the, it shakes again. And then he falls down. And all of a sudden, Sean Connery <laughs> grabs his hand. It's his father. Looking up to his father, he grabs it and he goes, trying to get that cup. And his father, in this nice Sean Connery voice, I don't know, I'm not a good imitator of voices. It's his son, let's go. Looks up to him, looks him in the eye, pulls him up in this peaceful voice. Your father is holding you, but so many times we're reaching for that thing, and we're not willing to let that thing go, and we start sacrificing what God has for us. God is your father. He wants to take you in. He wants to lead you. Right? Number two, how do we set the pace? Run with passion, fueled by love. Philippians 3.14 says this. I press on, passion. I press on toward the goal for the prize. A little more passion. I press on for the prize, to the goal for the prize, for the upward call. Specific passion. In 2018, make your goal specific, because when you make your goal specific, you make them dynamic. He's giving us a specific goal that feeds our passion. Goals feed passion. And when you see a specific goal, he said, I press on. Okay, that's okay. I press on towards the goal 
of the pr- uh, for the prize. That's a little bit better. Oh, for the upward call. Each one of you are called. If you came in today and you felt like you weren't called, even if you're not saved here today, maybe you came in today and said, you know, I was just feeling like maybe I just wanted to end my life today. You know what? God has a call on your life. That call is not something super spiritual. It sounds like churches say, you know what? God has called you. He has a God genius in you that he wanted to express into this world because he made you. There's no one else like you. And he wants you to grab his hand and let his spirit work through you in the way that only he can. Only way that he can. And so you, he made your certain eye color. He made your laugh the way it is. He made your personality the way it is. And he made your hair color the way it is. He made your lack of hair or lots of hair, whatever hair you have, to be because he wants to shine his glory on you. Right? I'm talking right here, right? Yeah, what's that, right? But you know, he wants to shine on you. You have a call. Don't sacrifice that call. You have a God genius. But, there, but it's almost like it's not enough just to say to have passion fueled by love by myself. There's a, one missing ingredient I want to hit. You know, we were talking about the early church, and I was talking about the, the church currently. And I, but in the early church, if we look at what kind of activities marked the church, we're going to look at that in just a second. But when we look at Acts 2, verses 46 and 47, I want to look at what, this, what is this ingredient that's going to fuel the passion even further. ESV version says this, And day by day, attending the temple, here's the key word, together, and breaking bread in their homes, and they received with their food with glad, generous hearts, praising God, Excuse me. And having favor with all men. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Now I'm going to camp out here just real quickly on that first sentence, attending the temple courts together. I'm going to read that same sentence in two more versions. The Amplified version says this. Remember, together. And day by day they regularly assembled in the temple with united purpose. Not together, with united purpose. Here's the NASB version. Day by day, continuing with one Mind. So three words, together, with united purpose, with one mind. What were the acts that happened in the early church? Let me just give you a few. Regular miraculous signs. Authentic community. People coming to Christ daily. Overwhelming generosity. Constant praise. Favor with all people. Passionate confidence, even to the point of death. These are things that marked the early church. But you know what? We could actually go through the motions on each one of these things. We could even fake some of them. But something happened so dynamic in the early church that it cost 3,000 people to get saved in one day. Because miraculous healings, get up, pick up your mat and walk. All these things. Were, why were these things happening? I believe they had a passion that was fueled by love together. Because when we look at this word together in the Greek it's the word homothymatin. Here's what that word actually means. Of the same passion. They were of the same passion. Let me just read what I re- looked up here. It describes people who share like precious faith, creating a God-produced unity between them. Here, they have the same mind, or the Lord's thoughts, because each receives the same revelation of his word. Remember, revelation Without vision, the people perish. This group had such a unified vision that it was seen by the world that it 
brought healings. It brought people in, 3,000 people in one day. It wasn't because of one individual. It was because a community that had the same passion and the same love that was fueled by God, and they were always taken care of. And they began to be able to take care of others. Reminds me of that, that, that uh, um, prayer that Jesus said before he went to the cross. I pray that they are one. But he didn't just pray for his own. He prayed for those that were not even there yet. That vision is still in play. And God is calling us to be the change agent, to be the pace setter. It implies that God, this, uh, it had a God-produced unity which created a God-produced passion. Interestingly enough, that word homothymatin is used when there were healings that were happening too. Look at Acts 5, 20, 12. I don't have it for the screen. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done, keyword regularly, done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Here it is. And they were all, say it, together. Sorry. All together. Right? That word is homothymatin. Same passion, miracles. If we want to see an increase in miracles in our life, we need to have that same passion together. Unified passion, fueled by love, putting away our disputes, putting away our arguments, letting God fill us in greater measures. That's number two, how we set the pace. Number three, pace setters run with endurance. Set the pace by running with endurance. So the question is, how do we run with endurance? Well, Philippians 3.12, he says this, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because, here's the key word, Jesus Christ has made me his own. I'm talking about running. How do we run with endurance? Three sub points here under this. First of all, pace with, the pow- with his power, not your own. Pace with his power in 2018, not your own. Because what is, what is he saying here? Um, he says, not that I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not perfect. So he understands, I have a gap. I need to get somewhere, so I need to start running, right? He knows he's not perfect. He has a ways to go. So he decides to press on. Why does he decide to press on? The answer to this question is a key to your endurance. He presses on because of this one thing. Christ has made him his own. He knows who his owner is. You know, when we get caught up in Looking back, we are becoming owned by this thing. We begin to get owned. Maybe it's like, oh, a couple more clicks on that website. Oh, one more drink is not going to hurt if you have an addiction. Oh, you know, we just kind of go back, and then we start feeding this whole thing back. And we start being owned by these things, distractions, social media, all this kind of stuff. It could be even some of the small stuff. No condemnation. I'm not saying these things are bad. But I'm saying that we have to look at what is owning you and what is owning me. Because at the point that I allow something to own me, I automatically go into my strength. Because it requires my strength to make it work. It requires my strength to make it happen. And God's people never are in charge of making it happen. He calls us to be a living sacrifice. And if we're a living sacrifice, we're the wood. And he says, I will light that wood up on fire. And he will make it happen, the Holy Spirit, if we make ourselves a living sacrifice. So I want to encourage us this year is to look, who owns you? Let, see, the opposite is awesome. When you let God own you, this is what Paul is saying. I know I'm owned by him. And as a result, I get his power. I get to go with him, and it's not about my strength. Just like at communion today, we come to him based on his power, what he can do. We just focus on our relationship with him, and guess what? The things that he calls us to do will happen. He says, you will do greater things than I. 
Will that happen in 2018? I want to encourage us towards that this year. That's the first thing, how we run with endurance. Running with his strength. Well, going on with that first one, what does pacing with the king's strength look like then? Let me give you just one side note here. On what There's a lot of things we could say here. But in 3 John 9 and 10, John ex- uh, gives us an example. He says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So here's a guy, selfish ambition. I want to do my thing. I want to do it my way. I'm not going to come under this guy's authority because I have my own agenda. And I want to make this thing happen. God's not going to light that up because he's not being a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. He goes on and says, so if, here's Paul saying, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. Talking wicked nonsense against us. Here he's holding them accountable. For, oh, let's see, where am I? For who is the, uh, wrong one here. So if I come, I will bring, uh, and not content with that, diatrophies, diatrophies, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church. So this guy, I want to be first. I'm not coming under authority. He begins to divide the church. There's no homothymadin happening there. There's no same passion happening there. And God calls him on the carpet through John. God cares about unity in the house. And he cares about us not working through our own insecurities or our own inhibitions or our selfish ambitions. God wants us to surrender those things to him and say, God, I will make you. It's not that we won't make mistakes. Yeah, we're going to make mistakes. But you know, God wants to say, are you going to focus on my relationship with you? You see, this whole thing about me first came up with the disciples. There was one time when they were saying, hey, who's the greatest? They had this conversation. They're arguing about who's the greatest. And the reason why they were arguing about it is because they were taking their cues from their culture. Because leaders in that culture lorded it over others. And they wanted to say, according to that parameter, pace parameter, wrong pace, um, according to that, I, I want to live that way. And Jesus goes, here's what he, Jesus says. He goes this. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the ser- uh, youngest. And the leader, let me say it again, leader. One more time. The leader. As one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. What is he saying here? We're talking about running with endurance. We're talking about running with his power. Jesus is saying, my power is attracted to service, not status. Not attracted to service. It's attracted to service, not status. God is giving us a pacing parameter to go with him, and that's according to service, not power. Where are we reaching? So this is where, where we need to go. This is how we run with endurance. Number two, under this, this subpoint here, is pace. Set the pace, knowing people are watching with expectation and anticipation. Every year, there is a uh, cross-country event done by service with all, the, with all the school kids. And every year I'm there, I watch this. When the kids are coming back, the parents are actually outside the ropes r- waiting for their kids. And what's so interesting, there's, there's no big prize at the end of this thing. Everybody gets a medal. And uh, there's no real big thing except for crossing the line, which is cool. But these parents, I, I'm, I'm serious. I videotaped this two years ago. I was watching. I was like, and the parents are like, where's my kid? Their face is just expectation, anticipation for their kid to come across. 
right? And so some of the some of the Olympiads kids are first, you know, they just break all the records. Then you get some of the ones that are, you know, trailing back. And then you get some of the ones that are way back there, and some of them are just like, they don't even care. They're just like, uh, okay, I'm picking flowers and smelling roses and all this kind of stuff. And then when they get to the end of the thing, they hear, they go, they say, uh, Hey, go for it, go for it. And they go, oh, they stop picking flowers. They go, oh, and they just start running, and they just start going. Why? Because they felt the expectation and the anticipation from their parents. There are people waiting in expectation and anticipation. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see, those parents, they've gone before. They've done races like this before, or maybe they haven't, but they, just, they, ex- they understand what it is, what's going on. Let me say this. There's other, there's, in the church, this is why having all ranges of people are so important. Ranges, age ranges, and ethnic ranges. It's because those that are on the older side of the spectrum, they have something to give to the younger. Why? Because they've run the race. They know how to encourage. It's not just blowing smoke. They have wisdom. That's why you, if you're in the older sphere, do not disengage. It's not for just the young church. It's for all church. That's who God died for. I know you know that, but I want to remind us today about that. But it also says this. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness. The saints of old. Many of those saints died getting there, and they're in heaven cheering you on. See, they've run the race. So when you are running your race, they're cheering you on, and they know what you are going through, even unto the point of death. That's why this is so important. And they're cheering you on, just like the Vikings were cheering Helping them, helping them win. And it gives them endurance to run. Number three subpoint here is pace with the team. How do we run with endurance? Pace with the team. You see, if we go back to that verse in Hebrews 12, 1, listen, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. When I look at this race, I immediately think of a cross-country race as an individual sport. I'm going to get first place, right? But that's not what the kingdom, sa- that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, let us. So we got to run with it like a big clump, like, like herd, right? Let us run together because we are being cheered on. We are designed not to run it alone. There's actually a physiological thing involved in this. And I want to show you, before I go on, I want to show you a video of a kid who ran a triathlon and he has cerebral palsy. Take a look at this. If you crank the audio up. And you're going to make it to the finish line, Billy Matthews. The eight-year-old Bailey Matthews has cerebral palsy, but he didn't let his disability stop him from finishing his first ever triathlon in England with a roar of encouragement from everyone watching. stumbled twice, he was determined to cross the Castle Triathlon finish line. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Billy Matthew! According to the Castle Triathlon's Facebook post, Bailey completed the 100-meter lake swim, 4,000-meter bike, and 1,300-meter run. Well done, Bailey. Bailey! 
Bailey's mom, Julie, told the Yorkshire Post, you could see his little face when he came round and saw everyone. That was his way of finishing in style and showing everyone what he could do. It was the response from the crowd that pushed him to do that. Bailey's father, Jonathan, is also a triathlete and inspired his son to do his own race. Bailey's determination surely is impressive and is an inspiration to all. Be sure to watch Inside Edition. Isn't that awesome? That's so good. Did you see the ending when he, after the whole triathlon, he was getting his, in his walker and he was just kind of like this. And then all of a sudden, yeah, go! He looks up and his face shines. And what did he do? He exerted himself a hundredfold, it felt looked like. And he started just running. What is that? What is that that happens inside of us when somebody is running and all of a sudden they start encouraging you, they start calling it out in you, they start calling out your calling, they start seeing who you are, and they start seeing how you're a part, and they start seeing, and all of a sudden our endurance level just skyrockets through the roof. And we say, I can do this. I can't do it. My, aren't you glad? Maybe you're not, but aren't you glad that you have limited skills? Aren't you glad that you actually have limited passion? That's on purpose. There's a limit to it. Why? Because your endurance level is directly connected to how well you connect into the body that God has created and the body that God wants to create this homothymatic experience so that people actually see that there's something different in us that's so distinctive that we have to humble ourselves and say, you know what? I need you. That's why small groups are so important. God came for not just you and an individual. He came for a people. And that people was designed to work together in unity. This is where we get true endurance. Hebrews 12.2 says this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In that race, who do you see was actually with him the whole way? His father. His father. You see, not only do you have a great cloud of witnesses, not only do you have a people here, but your father is with you. If you're fatherless today, you have a father. And he is calling it out in you. He wants you to hear his voice, and he wants you to follow him and break through those barriers. See, he had courage because his father was there. He had more strength because his father was there. He broke through the barrier. And you know what? He even fell how many times? Not one, two. Two times. At the end, I'm disqualified. Did he just get him? No. You see, when you fall down, you have somebody to pick you up. That's where your endurance comes from. If you're, if you're siloing out and you're just an individual by yourself and you fall down, guess what? That's a scary place to be. We don't want you to be in that place that you are a part of something bigger and that you, we don't want you to feel disqualified. We don't want you to feel that way at all. And it, it will never happen as long as you're connected in with the body. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this. So do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this 
light momentary affliction is, be, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see, when we look at this thing, it's like God's taking us this way, but I want this. And we're actually comparing ourselves against ourselves, against the world and all this kind of stuff. And we want to get this, oh, I get that thing, but it actually is not doing that. But God has something greater, a, a eternal weight, eternal glory that far outweighs it all. And he says this, as we look not to, the, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The temporal versus the eternal. Where are you looking? Where am I looking? For the eternal things are seen, that are seen are transient. They are here and gone. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Where are you headed? Where are you? He's pointing, this is how we become a pace setter. We run with endurance. And we do not lose heart. So what's the rest of the story? Roger Bannister. What actually was so great about Roger Bannister? I'll, I'll suggest this. It, not, it wasn't the fact that he actually broke and set the pace. That was awesome. But here's what was awesome. Awesomer. Is that two months later, somebody else broke the record, his record. And then another, and then another, and then another. And there was about 13 or so in the, in the next three years that kept breaking the record over and over and over again. See, the reason why Roger Bannister was a pace setter, a trend setter, is because he broke a barrier, and those that came behind felt like they could do it too. What are you up against in your life right now that you feel like you cannot get through? God wants you to break through that with His power. And think of the legacy that you will leave, the things that you will change in your life now by drawing a line and saying, no more. There's going to be a difference. I'm going to draw a line in the sand today and say, I'm not going in that direction anymore, whatever it might be, because you know what? I have kids that are watching in anticipation and expectation, and I need them. I'm paving a pathway for them. Because if I break through the barrier, they can break through the barrier. For our church, what are we breaking through as a church? There are barriers that we have that are in every church, and we have barriers here in this church. We have to, by faith, face them head on and say, you know what? It's worth putting the energy in for that as opposed to just whining about the past or this, that, the thing that we're, that's not happening. No, I'm going to put my energy into that. And guess what? As a result of that, guess what? We're going to pave a way for the future, for others to follow. And then we'll get that home with I'm at it. Miracles happening. Generosity. Overwhelming generosity. New things happen. Favor with all people. New people coming to Christ every day. Imagine what can happen when we break through our barriers and we break through our church barriers together. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Christ. I want to encourage us today. If you've never received the pace setter, the one who owns the race, I want to encourage you to do that today. I don't want to, we don't want to embarrass anybody here. But I just want everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And is there anybody here that has never received Jesus and you would like to do that today and draw a line in the sand and say, today is my day. I'm going to receive him. This king is awesome. If you want to, just slip up your hand nice and high so we can see it. If there's anybody here and wants to receive Christ for the first time. All right. Anybody here, second question, that would 
feels like, you know, I need just to draw a line in the sand. I need to say, I'm going forward with Jesus. I've been a Christian. You know what? I haven't been all in. No shame at all. If you want to get prayer for that, just pop your hand up if you want prayer for that. Anybody here? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. A few hands here. All right. I want to encourage us today to respond and to come forward. When we come and sing this song today, I want you to encourage you to come down and just respond. That's what this song is for, for you to respond and come and meet the body of Christ up here. You can pray in your seat, but it's really awesome to come down if you need prayer. No shame involved. So let's pray. This is for those who, if you've never received Christ for the first time, just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Forgive me, Lord, for turning away from you. I give my life to you and I walk away from my old life. Save me. Make me new. Change me on the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. And for those of you who feel like you know, you just haven't been all in. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for those that are just needing to feel like, that, to draw the light in the sand today. That I'm going to be all in in 2018. Lord, I pray that you would just um, help them see your love for them continually, Lord. But the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So God, I pray that no condemnation. I rebuke the enemy and his lies, saying that they can't enter in. I bind that in Jesus' name, and I pray for these people to experience you in a new way as they step forward in love with you, Jesus, today. I pray for anybody else here today that has needs. I pray that they would, anybody who is feeling it, they would come forward and get prayed for today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.